Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club with your friends, Katie and Erica. We are on the fourth and final section of The Perfect Ruin by Shanora Williams. We finally got our ending. We finally got a twist and then a twist and then a twist in this section. Before we talk about some of the themes and before Shanora Williams joins us to talk about this book, Katie's going to give us a quick summary with all of the spoilers. So if you didn't finish it yet, just, I don't know, fast forward for some for a while just put it down and come back to this episode after you've read it <laughs> don't laugh at me I mean no that's good like clear instructions are key all right so in this final section we get so many twists um and a closed ending which I love we start with Georgia telling us about her miscarriage and her re- plan for revenge um along with her rewriting her contract um, and then we flash forward to Ivy being on vacation with Corey and them deciding that he will get a divorce and leave Lola. As soon as they get home, uh, Ivy gets a text from Lola inviting her to come over and she heads over later to find out this was actually Georgia. Ivy walks into the home and runs right into a confrontation with Corey and she is mad when Corey tells her to get over herself. He never loved her anyways. Her and Corey get into a physical altercation, end up in the pool and everything goes downhill very quickly. Corey dies and then Lola dies and Ivy is in a, she's very confused because she knows she didn't do it. She couldn't have done it, but somebody must have. We find out it was Georgia who has been plotting to frame Ivy for years as her way out of this insane family and insane contract Um, in kind of cleaning up her mess and taking care of Ivy. Someone else confronts Georgia and she also has to be taken care of. So this ends with Faith dying. And then the section ends with Georgia visiting Ivy in jail and not seeming sorry at all. If that wasn't enough twists for you, I don't know what to tell you. I couldn't have predicted literally any of those from happening. Maybe an initial Georgia being involved, but never that. Well, I knew that Corey was full of shit. So. Oh, yeah. We knew Corey was full of shit. That's true. I could have predicted that. We knew he was full of shit. First affair, my ass. Okay. We knew that was a lie. We knew him loving her was a lie. Like, he was also unhinged, as many characters in this book were. Also, you forgot the then twist at the very end, which is that Marriott has been full of guilt oh, this my entire God, time. yes. Because Georgia paid her off to slip her Lola's name and she's been reading Ivy's letters and now at the end of the novel is committing to avenging Ivy. Yes. Every time I thought this book was over, there was like another twist or something else that happened. And there were all these characters that came back that I had kind of forgot about, like Marriott. And I was like, oh my gosh, I fully forgot she was involved in this situation. I'm sort of surprised that the one character that comes back into play was Faith rather than maybe like Xena or Kiki. Right. But it does make sense because Faith was so close to Lola in like a business sense. So she sort of knew where the money was and how Lola was conducting herself, which seems like it was incredibly corrupt the way that Lola was conducting her business girl she seems yeah incredibly corrupt 
I think it was interesting that it was Faith because she seemed like one of the more level-headed players in Lola's life. So I thought it was interesting that it was her who came to Georgia like, I know all this. I've seen the contract. I know what you're doing. And so then Georgia had to kill her. This very specific way of killing people, too. I mean, what a way to go. Like, if you're going to if I'm going to get murdered, I would just like to say on the record, just take me out with some sleeping pills. Some antidepressant sleeping pills. Yeah, take it's fine. Just send me off on like a, you know, a drowsy slumber. I love sleeping, as I've said on this podcast. In case you forgot today, I still love to sleep. I love to sleep. And if you bury me alive, I swear I'm going to go. I'm going to come back and haunt the absolute shit out of you. That's all I have to say. We're loose. It's late. We're recording this late at night. Hello. Different versions of ourselves are emerging. I was listening to me in the last time we recorded. I listened to the episode yesterday and I was like, and I was really off with these predictions this time. And I was like, it's her birth mom and she left her. I mean, I do think I went when I was listening back to it. I do think that why I thought that um, we'll talk to Shinora about this a little bit later was because there was a, a lot of mention of Ivy being in foster homes before when she was younger and didn't really talk about what age we find out later that she's in those foster homes as a teenager, which checks out for when her parents passed. But yeah, I could see it, but it is funny. Those predictions were not on par this time. We said a while ago and throughout the book that it was hard to understand why Lola was so hated throughout the book by first Ivy and then by Georgia I think in this last section, like, I get it. She seems like a pretty horrible person who is definitely beautiful and is very manipulative, but is just totally rotten. I mean, the way she treats Georgia after having a miscarriage, like, essentially acting like this was an infringement on her, like, work duties was really terrible. It's funny. It reminded me of the show White Lotus, where... The first episode is like a woman who's pregnant who's like basically giving birth on her first day at the job, but she like refuses to like acknowledge it because she doesn't want to make a big fuss. She doesn't want to get fired. And it's supposed to be this sort of this symbol of how she doesn't pay attention or how, uh, sorry, the hotel manager is not paying attention. No, that's such a good analogy to this because it is like what Lola needs in her life in this unimportant situation are so much more important than this woman and her baby and their actual lives. It is crazy. And she seems fully disconnected to like the human aspect of who Georgia is. Um, I hate believing there are people like Lola in the world who are just that unempathetic towards others. Yeah. I think she believes she's not indifferent to other people the way that the hotel manager is in white Lotus. I can't remember what his name is. Anand, something like that. Um, but everybody exists sort of to serve her, to come back to her, to fulfill things that she needs. And so when they violate that, that's when she has a problem with them. So she's fine with Kiki mooching off of her with Ivy mooching off of her with, you know, these other people sort of like following behind her and singing her praises because it serves her for her public image. But the second that they deviate from that or deviate from the script, she puts them in their place. Just so sad. Yeah. So I definitely I liked that part of the ending. I also thought the reveal that Georgia has been manipulating Ivy all along 
was really tragic because like we've said multiple times, we're like not bought in with Ivy. We're not like rooting for her. And then you learn how Georgia has essentially been pushing her into this crazed, unhinged revenge plot for years now. And then it starts to make sense why she's not able to get over it, why she's so fixated on getting revenge for Lola and why, you know, she's basically been manipulated by everybody around her through Georgia, which is crazy and so sad. Including her therapist. But yeah, I agree. I I was shocked at that twist. And I can't believe that it was Georgia. I still am a little shocked at the level of longevity of this plan that Georgia had. Like, this is, I think I said this in the last episode, but I'm just going to say it again. I have never been committed to anything in my life the way that Georgia is committed to this plan. I just cannot imagine any world in which it makes sense to me that this long plan and having to kill these people and this soaking up your entire life is worth in any way $10 million. It's a lot of money, but it's money. She doesn't seem remorseful, though. I I mean... I am not... Uh, I'm not one for a murder plot, just in my general life, mm-hmm. but... Right, I, right, <laughs> for sure. Not a murderer. Got it. I understand grudges. I definitely am a person who's sort of like, you wronged me once, I will remember it forever. And I don't know why that is that way about me, but I... Definitely am one to hold a grudge for a very long time. So on that account, I understand Georgia kind of holding this candle, I guess, for hatred against Lola. And she's a pretty satisfying villain because she's extremely competent. She is competent. I mean, as much as I can't stand what she obviously did, not can't stand it, but just like can't relate to wanting to murder people. um, I still think she's kind of a badass. (laughs) Like... Like she is, she just is. She's kind of a badass. She plans this whole thing. She executes it. She's not sloppy. She is, she is competent. She is, I mean, as much as this end of the story was heartbreaking, it was still, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe she orchestrated this entire thing. Um, I get the holding a grudge. I'm not a grudge holding person. I think I, I like have a good night's sleep and I'm basically over it. So like, I don't really get that, but I feel like, I don't know if there's anything – I obviously would never kill people for $10 million. I get the holding the grudge, but the level that she goes to. Um, but people do crazy things for money and sometimes less than that. So you know what? I get it. And security and stability. I mean, that's also what Ivy is trying to find. It's not necessarily the money. You know, it's like what the money gets you. It's the attention and the award and the fame and the access and security the feeling that you'll never be insecure again which I think is what George's motivation is yeah that's true so I so I would kill first I'm just kidding oh my god I do think her reading about George's life throughout this I mean you definitely feel for her obviously nobody is a winner at the end of this book George is a winner what do you mean she literally has the conscience of killing three people in rapid succession I mean, but no. they were bad people. Well, except for oh, Faith. Oh, no. You still can't kill people even if they're bad. I'm sure she will still be maybe haunted by that guilt. I don't know. But poor Ivy, obviously, Lola and Corey. I feel like it just ended. It ended tragically, but in a very dramatic way. In the biggest twist of all, at the end, I feel bad for Ivy. I feel like she was really the one whose life was ruined. She is she is the perfect ruin because she was manipulated 
and used and disregarded and now is behind bars. And, you know, it's also, I liked that this book featured predominantly Black characters. It's interesting to read a book like that where race is not like central to the plot. I think it's important to read about Black characters in like a number of different ways. But then we do have that part at the end where it's like, oh, yes, there's two dead bodies and a Black girl who's mad. And that just fell right into everybody's stereotypes and they didn't look at it anymore. And they apparently didn't do like a toxicology report or did they just think that she poisoned them? I don't know if they did toxicology reports, but I think the point of this entire lead up was that is exactly what Georgia wanted it to look like. Like she got mad and she did this. And if they dug into it, what they were going to find, which is what Georgia said, they're going to find you coming over here to check on Lola when you weren't invited. They're going to find you stalking her, showing up at her classes, sleeping in her cabin. They're going to find out you had an affair with the poor. I mean, if you look at the facts of what happened on paper, it does not look good for Ivy, which is exactly what Georgia was doing. So while I think they did fall into the stereotypes, I think even if they dig into it, it doesn't matter anymore. The stereotypes Ivy is framed. She's not framed only because she was an angry person. I feel like she is Georgia has not made an airtight case by any means, but she has set it up so that if you're trying to find a villain, she's got you. Here's Ivy on a silver platter. I do think where Georgia goes wrong is her desire for this to be like wrapped up and done, which is killing faith. So she's like, this girl is in my way. She's in my business. I don't want to split this money. And so therefore, in order to not be blackmailed, I'm just going to kill her. But faith has nothing to do with Ivy. Ivy's like already under police surveillance or in custody or like that is already happening. So it seems that that might be one way, one unanswerable question. How is there another dead body related to this case? Now that we know that Marriott is on, on to her, on to this, you know, collusion and onto the real Georgia, I think this leaves it open for a future book to follow. Oh, that's a good point. It does leave it open for Marriott to actually be able to avenge Ivy in some way. Because something happened at the end that wasn't perfectly in this plan. That's a really good point. It gives me some hope that maybe maybe Ivy can be okay. This book was different than other books we've read on the podcast. Because it was much more of like a fast-paced, fast-paced thriller. And I think I appreciated it almost more as we like went on and talked about it. As per usual with the podcast, I feel like most books... The more we talk about it, the more I kind of can see what was smart throughout it and what we can take away from it. So I think we like I appreciated the discussions that we had and we already had the discussion with Shonora. Surprise, surprise. So that I think we also get into the book a little bit more deeply, which I liked. I did love talking about the book with Shonora. I loved learning about how her writing style, her writing process, who she is as a writer and an author um, and kind of what inspired this plot what she was trying to do I love talking to authors for that reason I feel like every time we get to it gives me a new appreciation for the book and for the craft in general so I hope you enjoy our conversation with her as much as we did and that you enjoyed reading this along with us before we get to our discussion with Shonora quick podcast updates next week we are going to release a special episode that is just Katie and I talking about one of our favorite books that we read in 2021. We'll be discussing The Power by Naomi Alderman, a book I have 
legitimately not stopped thinking about since I finished it. So maybe processing it out loud will help me to get out of my brain. But this book, it was a top contender for one of my top books and I loved it. So I can't wait to talk about it with you. After that episode airs, we'll take a week off. That Sunday, we're going to start reading our next book, which is The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. We will post the full schedule on our Instagram story, but I'm imagining that we're going to read chapters one through the end of chapter four. I'll confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that's where we're going. So grab your books, local bookstores or bookshop.org. The link will be in the show notes. Shanora Williams. I'm a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. Um, I have written over 30 novels, romance novels, and I have also written three thrillers, but two of them are not out yet. Um, the one we're talking about that is, it's The Perfect Room, but that's out already. <laughs> but um, we also, I'm also the mom of three boys and I have a husband named Juan. I'm from Charlotte. Uh, North Carolina originally, but I currently reside in Concord, North Carolina. So, Okay, my first question is, do you sleep raising three children and writing 30 books? That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, don't. I mean, I would say barely. <laughs> barely. I would say that I'm surviving, not thriving. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm definitely surviving. I don't know how I'm doing it, but it's getting done. I know that. How long how long does it usually take to write each of those books? Because I thirty books seems like it must take thirty years, but or you do not look years. like you're yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> um, well, so for me, my romance novels are pretty easy for me to write because they're pretty like straightforward to plot and outline and it's only so many ways you can go with the romance. But my thrillers actually take me a little bit longer. Um, I would say maybe my thrillers may take me like six months to a year. It just depends. Um, but for my romance books, it could take me anywhere from two to three months. It just depends on like, I try, I try to set like word count goals in between, like for my books to see where I can meet and how much I'll get a week. And it usually just finishes itself. And yeah, romance is pretty like, I wouldn't say it's easy to write, but it's pretty straightforward for me now after doing it for so many years, but thrillers, I'm still new to it. So I'm still adapting to like the twists that come and then trying to figure it out and then make it make sense with the whole general theme of the story <laughs> I yeah. love romance novels and this is the first book of yours I've read um yeah and so this I mean we the perfect room was great and so but I'm so excited to pick up one of your romance novels now because that's a that's my like relaxed genre um and so yeah we'll have to get a recommendation on which one I should start with at the end here yeah. but that makes that's so crazy 30 that's a huge accomplishment thank you writing a book is a huge accomplishment this is your first thriller book, or that at least is what the internet has told us. Um, and you primarily write romance novels, as you just mentioned. Why were you interested in writing a thriller? And did you find any challenges in switching to this new genre? What was that experience like? Um, well, I always liked, 
like thrillers. I used to read them when I was younger too. I just didn't think that I had the the talent to write them, I guess. Like I would read them and be like, oh my God, they're so good. I don't think I can write that. But um, I, I, it kind of came to me like as an opportunity because the agent that I signed with, um, she was working with um, an imprint and they were looking specifically for like lady thrillers or like, but, but, but thrillers by black people or authors of color. So she was like, it's like now or never. And I'm like, but I'm not ready. And I was like, so, I mean, I had ideas, but I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to do them yet. But, um, so I went ahead and did, I had the perfect run in my head for a while. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just, I've always wanted to write it. I just never thought that I would this soon. Um, but I'm glad that I did. Um, it seems like people enjoyed it enough. <laughs> so I guess it, it, it's just for my thrillers. Mine aren't really um, like, you know, those like like heavy, like, um, I don't, I'm not sure how to, who can compare it to, but I would say more, mine still kind of border on the, like the romance elements, but there's also a lot of suspense and I, I love suspense in general. So yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of suspense in this book. While we're on the topic of you writing your first thriller, which is also the concept of somebody being like, can you write a thriller? And you being like, yeah, I have this idea. And also I like conceptually can write both genres is amazing. Um, and I know you had said they were like, we want we want a black author. We want a, a woman of color to write this book. We want that to be the center. I know we're skipping around on the questions here, but why do you think it's important you know, for there to be diversity and representation in writing in different genres specifically and just like in fiction writing in general? Oh, I think it's extremely important. Very. Um, like when I grew up, I didn't really see the diversity when I read, but I still love to read the books that I had. It's just like I lived up the street from a library and all the books that I picked up, um, they were mainly Caucasian characters. They weren't really like characters. Even the side characters weren't characters of color. So I used to just wonder, like, why not? You know, but deep down, it's kind of like, I mean, that was the norm. So I didn't really question it too much. Um, I think for me, like, even with my romance novels, I started to write them with um, Caucasian characters because that was what was selling for, it seemed to be like the whole genre. Um, I don't think people really paid attention to um, other races, I guess. I don't know. I guess the other, it wasn't really... um, how would you say it? It wasn't really pushed the way that it is now. So um, I feel like it's always been very important, even in like film, art, anything. Um, It's just, I feel like that's something that people should see. Um, And then I have kids who I would love to see. I would love them to grow up and see the representation too and the diversity as well. And I mean, it's just nice to be able to see something or watch something or read something like, oh, that's just like, you know, like me or, you know, like just, being able to relate to someone or a character or anything. Um, but considering that I started out writing my books for, you know, like with characters that were white, um, I still sort of, I'm sort of in between, like I'm writing for all audiences basically. Like in The Perfect Rule and I didn't really write my characters, like I described them, but I didn't put an emphasis on their like blackness or, you know, like I didn't, I, I, I could have, but I was like, no, I want everyone to feel comfortable. And I want also to the, for the black community to be able to relate to these characters. So certain sayings that they had were kind of like, okay, if you're black, you'll understand it kind of like that. Like certain things that they did or said, it's like, okay, I get that. Or if you hung around certain people of color, you'd be like, okay, I get it. But um, 
also as far as like the description goes and detail imagery um I kind of just stuck to my roots on that one and um I mean it works for me like I don't really like to use the heavy terminology that uh I read in like urban fiction and stuff like that um I just kind of like to keep it very modern it's not safe because perfect room is not safe but you know the (laughs) in the medium there (laughs) yeah yeah I was I'm not a big thriller person we've read a couple of thrillers on the podcast but it seems like the thriller genre and maybe like the horror genre those are the genres that are like slow to pick up diverse voices or have representation in them so it was I know I saw people on Goodreads who were like really happy to see this book um central like have central characters who are people of color and black women specifically which is funny because it's like these you know ivy is not it's like black people can kill people you're like no no no. but you know you still want (laughs) to see this story and and lola who is a successful black woman businesswoman who is half puerto rican is that right yeah she was half puerto rican yeah um and is like the epitome of a beautiful seductive powerful woman um I loved it. And I loved that this book really just almost exclusively focused on this group of black women. I thought it was great. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I mean, when I actually signed the deal, I signed the deal for the perfect ruin and um, it was 2018, I believe. And when I had signed it, I remember going to search on Google for other books that I could maybe read to kind of get an idea for diverse thriller. I couldn't find any. I think the only one that I found was my sister, the serial killer. And that one was more so, it wasn't really the goal that I was going for as far as like the um, American way of, you know, domestic thrillers and stuff, but it had the vibes, but also it was just sad to like not see any um, like just straightforward thriller with characters of color. Like it was just, so I was like, okay, so I'm like going to be like one of the first ones to do this. And like, it was kind of weird, but um, I mean, it's sad, but it's also badass that you get to be that too. But it's also like, yeah, it's kind of scary though. Of course, yeah, because it's kind of like I've I've been set as like the footprint, and I don't, I'm not a fan of that because people will always be like, well, we're looking for something like, like I know agents right now are saying we are looking for something like the Perfect Run by Shanora Williams, which is like weird because it's like, like why, like don't compare it to my like, do your do own that. thing. You don't be like yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, or like Zakaya. Have you? I don't know if you read the other Black girl about Zakaya Delilah Harris, but she also was one who was one of the first to do like a suspense, um, sort of, um, thriller, mainstream, you know, kind of book. And um, I thought her book was pretty unique too. Um, but people right now, that's like their thing is like we want a book like the other Black girl by Zakaya. And I'm like, it has to be kind of scary <laughs> or like you know weird to think like that's you know now they want it after seeing I guess for for the publisher I had they had to really take a gamble on me um they weren't sure if it would sell because first of all I was writing romance books and they were like thriller from this romance author we don't know about that but proved them wrong so it's okay hell yeah (laughs) you did (laughs) so let's go basics and start with our main character. So The Perfect Ruin follows Ivy, who is in some ways an unreliable narrator who is consumed by a slightly unhinged revenge plot that she has that she uh, can get distracted from easily. Um, So Katie and I went back and forth about how we related to Ivy and 
um, I think part of it was that because it took a while for us to find out what happened to her, it made the first sections seem like, okay, what could Lola have done? Like, what is so bad that you're this upset about? So our question is, as readers, are we supposed to empathize with Ivy? Is she supposed to be sort of an unrelatable main character? And in general, like centering the book around a narrator who is either challenging or unreliable or unlikable. Um, What were your thoughts going into that? And how do you feel about Ivy? And how do you think we as a reader should feel about Ivy? Oh, good question. Um, Well, when I wrote Ivy, I really couldn't connect to her either. I will say that it took me a while to really connect to her character. I would say that I connected more to Georgia than I did Ivy, um, even though I didn't really get to Georgia until further in the book. But um, that was one thing that I saw a lot. I was like, well, I wish we would have known what had happened to Ivy in the first place. Um, but knowing me, like I'm new to this whole genre and like, I'm like, well, I want to keep the suspense of that. Like, let's make it a secret. But I think I dragged it out too long <laughs> on that part. But I'm like, okay, well, you know, but I think, I mean, what I liked about Ivy's character was that, yeah, I, I did want her to make her an unreliable character. Like I wanted her, people to see like she had these mental issues that in her mind, she thinks this is perfectly okay, what she's doing. And based off of her traumas and what's happened to her, um, I mean, in her head, it's like, this is fine, whatever. I mean, I deserve this kind of thing. And she just feels like she has to do that. She has no remorse for it at all. And, um, but to people like us, we're like, "Mm, I don't know if I would go that far. Like you're doing a little too much for me. But I mean, I think um, when it came to like her childhood, um, I feel like it is understandable because she was in the dark for so long. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I just, I, it was really hard for me to connect with Ivy for a long time. And, um, I think when I finally did connect to her was when she started to tell her story about, um, when she went to water parks with her parents, that was when I was finally like, okay, now I see why she's hurting. And now I see why she is going this far to these links. Like I knew her backstory, but I didn't know it fully until I started to get deeper into the story. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could, I would say if she is very unreliable, um, but I think that's the the fun part is like, it's honestly at the, what the reader believes rather than what the character is telling you, which is fun sometimes. <laughs> I think that's, what's fun about an unreliable narrator though, is you, you have to kind of figure out what's true, what's, what they're struggling with, what actually happened, what's their perspective. And you get to kind of like have a little bit more, of that thought process as the reader. Um, I think it's so interesting to hear authors talk about developing characters because obviously like you created these characters, but I love when you're like, well, when I got to know this part of her or when I got to like, once I understood where she was coming from. And it's so interesting to me because obviously you, you wrote her, you know where she's coming from, you can like decide, but you, I love hearing it framed like that. Like as I got to know who Ivy was and what she had been through. So that's just a comment that I love when people who write books talk about them. Like for me, when I write, I let the characters take the lead, to so to speak. Like I just, I know what's supposed to happen and I have like the plot points, but I usually just let them do their own thing. I'm like, okay, so where are you going with this today? And they just do whatever they want. I'm like, okay, boob job. Okay, check. Uh, You know, like just random things that she did. Move into Miami. Okay, check. Like I just let her do these crazy chaotic things that I never would have done. But one thing the publisher did kept saying too, was like we want something that's out of the box. And I'm like, 
okay, what's more out of the box than what she's doing? I don't know. <laughs> she's just going overboard. Listen, this girl it. is out of the box. She is chaotic. She is like, every time she does something, I'm like, wait a minute, Ivy, hold on. Let's just like take a step back. And she's like, we're right. two steps forward, actually. Right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I do think even though um, people wanted the reveal earlier, Katie and I did sort of put it together. Like, I think the pieces are there from the beginning, what happened to her. And you can sort of put it together like, okay, well, Lola's not in prison. So she didn't like murder them with an axe. Like it was clearly must have been something that could be construed as an accident. And it was both of them at the same time. So then it's probably a car accident. And the clues are there uh, to put together. I think Um, I had one crazy theory before we figured that out. I don't know if you remember this, but in the very beginning, episode one, we didn't know. And I was like, maybe Lola is her birth mom and then gave her up for a – like something – because like we love to do a lot of people said that. That's, that's yeah. interesting. It's weird because I didn't even think of that. A lot of people asked me when they were reading early, like, "Hey, is it is she her mom?" And I was like, "No, like what? What kind of question is that?" But the, the more like I go back and read, I'm like, "Yeah, that, that she's like she had over a half her age." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, okay, but yeah, and I so can see why so people funny. thought that. That yeah. is what I thought, though. I'm glad it wasn't as crazy as I think as I thought it was. No, but. no, no. <laughs> I think also. As the book progresses, especially in the second half, you also realize how Ivy has also been manipulated into this situation, especially when Georgia is talking about all the time she intervened and set up things to push her in certain directions and even bribing her therapist. Then she she not only becomes more sympathetic because of what she's gone through, but also she is in this position with someone who is mentally ill because someone has been pushing her and prodding her this whole time to make her the, you know, an actor of revenge for someone else, which is like, I thought that was a pretty satisfying reveal in the second half that I did not see coming. I sort of thought, I thought we would switch out of Ivy's head. And I knew that Lola knew more than we thought, or Lola was smarter than we thought, but I did not expect that Georgia was the, actually the mastermind. So let's talk about these twists with Georgia. So we did not see that coming. Um, Did you know when you were writing that Georgia was going to play such a big part when you started writing the book? Or did it kind of emerge for you as you were were kind of working through the stories and letting the characters come to life? No, I had no clue Georgia was going to pop up like that. Um, I didn't (laughs) know like that. Yeah, I'm like, where did this woman come from? But I had the most fun writing her part out of the whole like her deviousness and just getting her backstory and just all of it. I I loved writing her, even though she was very like, you know, just whatever, like it's all about me at the end of the day. Like I liked her writing her character just for the, the revenge. Like she was very patient with it. It was like calculating, like, <laughs> I don't think I would have had the patience to wait that long, but like, or to even bother. I was like, oh, whatever it is what it is. But no, like yeah. Georgia, I didn't expect Georgia's part until um, I want to say, oh gosh, when was it? I knew I wanted to have a twist. I said there was going to be someone who's behind all of this. And um, I wasn't sure. I thought it was going to be Corey for sure. I thought Corey, I but I was like, husband, yeah, the husband is always too obvious. And then I'm like, who is someone else who's close to Lola? And then I was like, Georgia. And then I'm like, okay, so now why is Georgia upset? Like, why does she want, you know, so I had to figure all that out. But when I did, I was like, okay, it was literally like spilling out of my fingers. Like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah. Georgia was a shock. She was a shocker though. She was surprised. I was very surprised that she, 
I would say it wasn't like once we found out about the 10-year contract, I was kind of like, okay, I get it. Mm. Georgia's mad. But I was like legitimately shocked when she like revealed all that she had done over the years to set this situation up. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like I had to read that part again. Cause yeah, I think her having a partner or being mad at Lola, I was like, okay, I get it. Yep, checks a box. That makes sense. But the build up. Mm, crazy. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of she came left field, like literally left field. I was like, Georgia. <laughs> okay, Georgia. Let's work with Georgia. We got Georgia. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I don't even think we wrote a question about Corey, but I also like mm. that Corey, like, he just kind of ends up being like a kind of a typical shitty husband where you're like, okay, obviously this is not his first affair. Like the first right. time he said that to her, Katie and I both were like, red flags. Like, right. <laughs> this guy. Right. I was like, yeah, that's what they, they were like, try not to make the guy too romantic. I was like, how <laughs> after writing romance I'm like okay fine okay so I had to make him a, a douche basically <laughs> I was like okay well I guess if he's not gonna be romantic he has to be a jerk so just went to make him a jerk thought, we still thought he was very hot like I think he definitely yeah, was still the, in town. Yes, he's one of but, those like over undercover like he's charming on the outside but when she really gets to know him it's like oh wait I don't actually like your personality like and I think that's him and Lola in general. Like they had to be those people like who seem perfect and put together and nice and charming and whatever else. But um, they're not. They're really rotten on the inside. Um, and they only care about themselves at the end of the day. And I think that kind of comes with the territory of like having some like the money situation that they had too. So Lola is obviously, as he said, a successful and wealthy businesswoman slash influencer slash, you know, charity owner, but she has a lot of enemies. Um, do you think that that's something that just comes with the success and the pressures of being somebody who's wealthy, of running a business, or is this really unique to who Lola is as a person? I think it's unique to Lola as a person because I think you can still have money and be influential and still be a good person. And I say that because... I know somebody who's like that personally. I don't know if you guys know Colleen Hoover. You know her? Yes. yes. She's literally the epitome of like, you know, she runs the charity. She's sort of like her own influencer and she's, you know. Her TikTok. Yeah, she's <laughs> great. And I'm like, and she's great. She gives back. She's kind. I've met her. I mean, I've known her for a while. Like, she's a really good person. And I'm like, I mean, I would hope, you know, like not one day I would see like a rotten side of her, but I don't think that it would ever happen. <laughs> you know, like I think she's a generally nice person, but I think she's, she, um, with Lola, she, at the end of the day, she, it's all about her. She's very self-centered. And I think anybody with that mindset is going to have a downfall eventually. Um, because if I were in Lola's shoes and that had happened with the, um, with Ivy's parents, I would have done everything that I could to find out everything that I knew about those people and what she caused, like a ripple effect, like what you did. But instead you tried to bury it just to protect and hold your reputation. And I just think that's like, I think people would have forgiven her if she just been like this accident happened, but she was so self-absorbed and so worried about losing like that perfect, perfect look like just everything like in my head Lola is really and that's probably like when you guys were you know we mentioned Lola's uh point of view 
um, in my head, Lola is just a very obnoxious person. And that was why I was like, I don't think I could write her um, point of view because I just was like, it would be very repetitive and she would have just probably frustrated me <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, I just, I couldn't really sympathize with Lola either um, because I'm like, I just would never have done what she did <laughs> personally. Then yeah. again, it's a book, it's a character, but still. <laughs> I think it would be hard to write characters that you just fully have no, like, you're like, I hate this perspective. I don't want to, yeah. and I said this about Ivy in the beginning. I was like, I am like stressed being in her head right now. So I can't even imagine mm. like, you know who Lola is because you're writing her as a character, like, and yeah. you know why she is the way she is. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to be inside yeah. that head. I don't want to like yes. see the world from this girl's perspective because mm. like, she is self-absorbed and and really has her like morals and priorities wrong in my opinion. Yes, also. they're backwards, way backwards. Yeah. That's another thing that comes through really clearly towards the end is just how bad and depraved that Lola is. And even Corey with what happened at the gala, with how he, you know, essentially is telling Ivy, like, I was only after you for your body. What are you even thinking? Um and then when we find out why Georgia has so much hatred for Lola, you totally understand now, like not only is Lola not the mastermind behind all of this, like she's done so much devious and ruthless behavior to get to this point that it's not surprising now that she has all of these enemies. Whereas when we first start, you're like, why would you be mad at her? She's beautiful and she does kickboxing and she runs a charity and, you know, she helps people around her. And now you realize like, oh, no, it's all to feed her ego, her wallet, mm-hmm. and her followers. It was kind of crazy. Like, she, she's almost so entitled throughout this book because, like, she just is like, give me what I want. And I, I in the beginning thought, yeah, she's the mastermind behind this. She's brought Ivy to her. She's, But she's just not that deep. She just is like, I get what I want by, by manipulating the situation. But she's not thinking 10 steps ahead. She just truly does not care about these people around her. And so I feel like by the end of it, I was like, okay, I get it. And yeah, like I said, the Georgia twist was really good. I was like, okay. Yeah. And it's sad because there are people, sorry, there are people out there like that though. Like Mm -hmm. I know someone like Lola, (laughs) that's what makes it like, I don't want to get in her head because it's like, I I know someone like her, like hopefully they never listen to this podcast. I doubt they will (laughs) because they're that selfish that they only care about themselves, but you know, like, I know someone like that, and I'm like, you know, like, I just can't imagine living like that. Like, just someone who's just like, whatever, don't, like, whatever. Like, if it's not about me, I don't care. Like, I just can't imagine. <laughs> I can't be right. that person. <laughs> okay, great. Well, you can tell us who this person is after we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> I do think you can have people, like you were saying, you have people at all levels. Like, who people are is almost separate from their wealth or their, you know, their following or whatever, like you will have people who are really good people who are also like really wealthy and have never made these like obviously awful choices. And you have, you know, people of all levels who are awful and good interdependent of that. You know, a good, a good example of this in the book is when Ivy tells Lola, like, I think if I was pregnant, I would want more than just like carrots and cucumbers. Like, can you put something in the snack, like the midnight snack that's like an actual snack? And she's like, oh, good point. I didn't think about right. that. <laughs> that is oh. true. She's like, we're like, whatever, they can eat healthy stuff. Like, no, I know when I was pregnant, I did not want healthy stuff. Like, you no didn't want carrots at midnight? I'm like, give me no, the popcorn. Car- yes. Ice like, cream. Good. <laughs> For real. Like, that's like being on your 
your monthly cycle times 10. Like, I don't want carrots and cucumbers. I want, like, sweets and treats. <laughs> right. Especially if I'm at a week of pampering. Yes. Yes. I do want to read one quote from the book that I liked, which is, Hate is an emotion you carry in your heart. It's a burning, gnawing sensation that burns in your veins, one you can't escape or get rid of. Hate is an emotion you wish you could release because it has so much control and power over you. Hate is loyal. It's here to stay. Katie and I have talked about how for us, anger can be a difficult emotion to like reach and access and also express just being women. What was your motivation behind centering a book on hatred and this these multiple revenge plots? Is this like a feeling that resonates with you or one that seems kind of far from you that you were trying to explore throughout the book? Um, yeah, like I, I think anger is, it is hard to express as a woman. So y'all are right about that. It's very hard to express because if you come off too angry, then, I mean, I don't know. It's just people think you're deranged and unhinged and you just... But um, I think people are valid to their emotions at the same time. Like, if I'm upset, I'm upset. But no, but they, when it came to Ivy and, like, Georgia and, like, the anger that they had, it was, um, I feel like it was a given. Like, it was expected after what they'd gone through. Um, that was something that I did want to explore. Like, I've never written characters so angry. <laughs> I don't think I've ever written characters so angry um and so you know manipulative and scary um but that was something that I wanted to explore and I wanted to see how far a person would go just to get what they wanted or just to get revenge um so like when it came to Georgia I was kind of like stunned like oh my gosh she's doing all this like you know like what she went through was pretty traumatic and I'm like dang but she went to like great lengths to get what she wanted and um, it kind of makes you like wonder, like, how far would you go to to get revenge on somebody, <laughs> or how far would you go, or how angry would you get to the point where like you have nothing left to lose, and like it's like what would it take for it to come to that point? And I think that's what I wanted to explore the most was like what how far would a person go? And then it's also another stigma among like black women. I'm like, well, if they're going to continue to write about black women being angry all the time, like the angry black women stereotype, then they're going to show them what anger actually is. Like, <laughs> and like what happens when our traumas are unresolved, like the world or society won't help us. And yet they expect us to be like these calm, careful creatures. And I'm like, even women in general, and we're not like, we have so many pressures and, that's why they, I think they made the show snapped because like eventually you just snap. It's like, you know, and then they're like, what? why would she do that? And it's been all these things leading up to it. And they're suddenly just so curious. Why did that happen? That's why it happened because you just, you know, you don't take it seriously. And that anger, that anger just bubbles up and eventually it blows up. <laughs> it was but no, for me, I'm not angry. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm not an angry person. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so far from angry. Like I, I, I get a kick out of writing it because it's like, yeah, how deep can I go with this? But um, when it comes to like real life, like, no, I don't think I could ever like, I'm too lazy to try and get revenge on somebody. Like, Listen, like, Georgia's oh, revenge plot was like years <laughs> long. I'm like, I have yes. never committed in my life to something the way that Georgia committed to this revenge plot. Like, yes. I am shocked. But I think it was interesting. Her and Ivy both had these kind of revenge plots, but they're motivated by different things and they are two different 
two different women who handle them in very different ways. Um, so it was cool to read about. I liked having two separate kind of revenge plots happening at the same time and see how these two very different women handled it, handled being right. Married. Yeah, Ivy was very like rushed. And I mean, she took her time, I think, in the beginning, but once she got in, she started to kind of be like, okay, running she to do sloppy. everything. And Which Georgia yeah, says she got to her, she's sloppy. like, you got yeah. sloppy. And so then I took over. Like, like, yeah, she got very, very sloppy. And I'm like, girl. Then again, I'm like, she is, you know, she has no guidance. No, you know, I think she just got a little bit too eager and too confident. And she didn't realize Georgia was there the whole time. <laughs> Like lurking, like, no, you're not going to win. This is about me. <laughs> yes. And then she got totally distracted by becoming obsessed with Corey. Yes. And yes. 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 We were like, that's oh, what the they plot. said. Not get to, back to your said, revenge plot. Like, yes, you had a, you had a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they were saying. Like, don't make Corey too romantic. I think that's why they said it, because if he would have been, then they, I don't think they would have been able to market it as a, a suspense or thriller if, it, if he would have been kind of like but I love you and you know like yeah so right. <laughs> he was um, he was like likable in the beginning but we quickly fell out of love with him yes yes me I definitely did what else are you reading right now um and what would you like to recommend to our readers to read um what am I reading right now I'm actually not reading anything right now at the moment which is a first but it's because I don't read while I'm on a deadline because I get like insecure in my own words because <laughs> I read like other stuff. I'm like, oh, that's a good sentence. Like I'm trying to compare and it's like, it's a bad habit, but um, like, it's more of like a respect for the author's work. And I start to like doubt my work. So I don't read while I write, but um, I will say that I am looking forward to some books. Um, I'm looking forward to Taryn Fisher's book that's coming out called, um, oh gosh, what is the name? Something with lie in it. It has the word lie in it? Is it an honest yes. lie? Yes, that one. Yes, I'm looking forward to that one for sure. If um, if Katie was going to pick up one of your past romance books, which one would you recommend she start with? Yes. Oh, it depends. Like, what kind of romance do you like? Like, do you, what genres or tropes do you like? Like, mine are mostly, like, forbidden, taboo, Love age that. gap romances. Um, but I also have, that like, checks out. I feel like that's good. Yeah. Oh, I think, I mean, yeah, one of my, like, I guess the reader favorites is my Kane series. And that's a four book series. And it's like a um, dad's best friend romance. Like she falls for her dad's best friend. And cool. yeah, it's, it's, but she's, you know, appropriate age. I know people are finicky about like age is a thing. I'm like, yeah, she's appropriate age. But um, another one is um, Dear Mr. Black, which is like best friend's dad. And they're also neighbors. and that's another one that was another reader favorite but if you wanted to try one of that I could definitely send one to you I have a lot of copies I can definitely buy it and support (laughs) you for sure but I'm happy to I'm happy to buy it and support you absolutely make sure you get some sort of cut out of it yes but okay I'm looking those up I will pick one of them and then I will report back I will message you when I read one and let you know I'm probably gonna pick I hope you like them it's a different tone from the thrillers I will say that like my romance books are a way different tone Katie, what books are you taking with you to Europe? I did finish a book, but I'm just really annoying with how many books I've read this year I so know, far. It is annoying. It's like actually annoying. I love you, but it's annoying. Um, <laughs> I, 
Um, I don't actually, I'm taking my Kindle um, and I don't have picked out what I'm going to read yet, actually. So I'm up for, for suggestions. I'm going to have a very long TBR list of books I need to buy. Um, but I just finished a book last night. So I am, I don't know what I'm going to read next. Okay. So we'll see. I will. Update what did you, you just finish last night? I finished All the Young Men by Ruth Coker Burks. It is a uh, nonfiction book. It's her memoir. She does it with a ghostwriter. I think it's still a memoir. She is a caregiver in the height of the AIDS epidemic in Arkansas. And um, so it's her story about helping who she calls her guys. Um, she cares single-handedly for hundreds of AIDS patients in a wow. or people who are living with AIDS, people who are living with HIV at a time when there were literally no resources and they were being truly shunned by society at large. Um, and it is it's like heartbreaking and heartwarming the entire time. Like I am utterly inspired by her and also just like saddened of how society treats people who are living with HIV and AIDS even today. Um, obviously things have gotten a lot better and we have all the tools that we need to end this epidemic completely. Um, but it's still, it's not over. And a lot of it's because of, you know, inequitable access to healthcare. And that's my rant for today. But, um, you know, I, am already passionate about this work specifically and do it in my job normally. Um, and I think that book just like reignited that passion and the need for people who give a shit to be a part of our healthcare systems. Oh, great. <laughs> wow. That was it. I didn't expect that just came like Indoors. off the there. Those are my feelings about it. But, and I want to say one more thing about it, which is this is one person's story, and I feel like this happens a lot with memoirs. This is one Southern white woman's story about the AIDS epidemic. It is not meant to be an, an all-encompassing version of what happened, especially in the in the late 80s, early 90s. And there are so many people, especially black people, black people specifically of trans experience, who really were hurt in greater numbers because they're obviously already marginalized communities whose stories are not told in this book. But it is just a selection of her experience and it's well worth a read. Even okay. I cried. Wow. Like cried, cried, like tears. No, down I don't the cry, cheek. cry. I mean, I did cry, cry this week, but not at that. <laughs> I only cry, cry. And I'm like really mad, but I did tear up a little bit. And that's a big step. I cried watching the last episode of cheer season two <laughs> on the subway this week. <laughs> that checks out. I might watch that on the plane. <laughs> All right, what so did you good. finish? It's so good. You got That's like separate. seven minutes, so lead me through it. What did you finish? I just finished Eileen by Otessa Moshfeg. I just fucking love Otessa so much. I would mainline her directly into my veins if I could. I'm obsessed with her. She, this book is so fucked up. It's one of those, towards the end, so it's just this very peculiar woman, Eileen, who is living with her very old alcoholic father who is incredibly abusive in basically just like a absolutely disgusting house. And she works at a, um, a prison for boys, a correctional facility for teenage boys. And she is just like completely stunted developmentally it's in the 60s, early 60s, so she's just very isolated and has been treated terribly by her family. Da, 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 da. Oh my god, this sounds awful. But it's so it's so true. 
it's so real. I feel like I love Otessa because she is so good at conveying women as they are, not women as they want to be perceived by other women or by men, which is very difficult to do. Where it's like, she's very conscious of like her physical body and the way her physical body changes based on her mood and how she sees herself. Like she sees herself as disgusting, unlovable, person who's always too large and wants to be smaller and wishes like her boobs look different and her butt looks different and her thighs looks different all this stuff she's all this like self-loathing and then one person like looks at her and sees her and she's like maybe I am beautiful I'm beautiful when I smile you know and all this stuff anyways it's so good I also loved that there's a big twist that happens and I figured out it was coming like two sentences before it happened probably one of the most satisfying things that's happened to me recently I'm so happy for you um I would like anyone listening to this to please at me if this description made you feel <laughs> like you wanted to read this book I need to know who you are because I am scared <laughs> so yes I love Otessa you don't have to love her you should at least try and read my year of rest and relaxation I would read that that sounded not bad actually I added it to my list I'm just not reading Eileen okay can you ask me what I'm reading next what are you reading next? Olga dies dreaming. Oh, yay. Okay. Did you start it? No. I just okay, finished Eileen today. For you. Oh, okay. I also got Mike Schur's book, How to Be Perfect, which is a like moral philosophy book. But Mike Schur is the one who wrote, he was an SNL writer and then he wrote The Good Place. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I am not like a moral psych person or a moral philosophy person. Lots of people I know study that, so I have never been able to, like, get into it. I'm hoping that Mike sure – if anyone can do it, Mike sure can do it. That's true. Um, okay, sounds good. I'm going to finish packing. Okay. Bye. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White, our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Oh my God, that house and like Lola's lifestyle too, which we talk about this a lot. Like I love books where the set, like the plot is pretty dark, but the setting is like glamour. I'm like, I want that raspberry mimosa by the pool today. Like, oh, that yes. is the yes. scene. That sounds delish too. I I've know. never had one too. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> you need to make where did one. I come with raspberry come from? But I, I have to try one one day because it actually sounds really good. <laughs> no, it sounds so good. I'm like literally yeah. like, that sounds great right now. How do I get one? Yeah. How do I get a pool <laughs> <Right>. also? <laughs> right. I need a pool.